0: Welcome to First Pitches, where famous founders break down the very first version of their pitch so you can master yours. I'm Lolita Taub, co-founder and general partner at The Community Fund.
1: And I'm Eric bond co-founder and general partner at Hustle Fund. Lolita, ready for some real talk with these founders?
0: Sure, let's do it.
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place. You'll have the agility to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Join over 21,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com/slash-first-pitches. Berkland is the recognized leader in outsourced CFO, tax, and accounting services for startups at the emerging and growth stages. As a sponsor of First Pitches, Berkland would like to offer listeners a free finance consultation. Berkland also offers important tools on its website, a financial controls matrix. Finance 101 for Startups, Contingency Toolkits, Tax and Marketing Calculators, and other critical resources for scaling a company. Visit BirkelandAssociates.com hustle.
2: The year was 1993. A poor 17-year-old boy from Nicaragua arrives to the U.S. with his family. They're in a tough spot. Just the previous year, they lost their home and much of what they had. And now they're setting foot in Tampa, Florida, to start a brand new life. What comes next is nothing short of inspirational. Elias hustles his way into a college scholarship, works at IBM, and then at the start of the Great Recession, appends his security to follow his dream of launching a startup. And even then, success isn't guaranteed. He fails again and again until he finally lands on the idea that would become his enduring company. Enduring doesn't just mean that their products and services will stand the test of time, but that they act in ways that strengthen the communities they serve. Our guest today is Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift, a conversational marketing platform. Drift and Elias's overnight success has been 10 years in the making and his story will leave you speechless. Elias, it's an honor to have you here to share your story, and we are so excited to hear your first
3: pitch. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, Elias, thank you so much
0: for making it. And so my first question to you is, what do you think and how do you define the American dream? And have you achieved it now that your company is worth over
2: $360 million?
3: Uh, well, I'm I'm in the middle of my journey, so let's let's make sure that 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 we that we know that the American dream has no end, right? But it's really the ability for anyone, regardless of their class, their race, their gender, their religion, to be able to uh, accomplish upward mobility, their own version of success, right? Um, through hard work and dedication, right? It's like that is what we dream from the from the moment that we set our foot as immigrants into this country, right? Because we hope that that's, um, that everything's going to change. And, and so today, in fact, it's just so many things that you just brought up there. Uh, just, I'm going on a rant here, but not rant, but on the side today, I was just before this meeting, I got to attend the scholarship, um, the scholarship ceremony for, for the students at USF. And now oh, wow. the sponsor kids to go to school with the same scholarship that I got. And so like, uh, and because I usually not traveling to Tampa on this day, I got to participate today and got to see all the students receiving it. And I was able to go back in time to 1995, right. And, and, and got to see their faces, uh, you getting help from the community, Latin Americans, right. Helping Latin Americans in Tampa, for these kids to go to school to then have the same path, access to the same path that I had. So I just came back from that uh, and um, the, 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 the silver lining of COVID. And then the other thing is that uh, I was talking to a, a nonprofit that, I, that I'm mentoring, right, and helping the founder, and he's helping the inner city to bring uh, kids that have been part of the system, right, to start building relationships with CEOs of, of people uh, in Boston, right? And so he was asking me, I said to him, I'm in, I'm in my journey of the American dream. And he says, sometimes I think for, for some of, of, of our members, right, it feels like the American nightmare. It's not possible. And I say, don't say that. <laughs> the American dream is possible. Let me tell you what happened to me, right? And so that, that I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because, uh, and I think I, I left them inspired to go share that message that it's, it's alive. The American dream is alive.
0: Oh, I love love to hear that, Elias. So first, I, I want to ask you one more question, but I, I want to actually, after that, ask Eric to ask you his question on the American Dream because he's shared some thoughts on what he thinks um, and he feels the statuses of the American Dream. Well, so I'm I'd not love... the one
1: being interviewed, though, right? I know,
0: <laughs> but but I, but I'd lo- but I'd love to I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that. But I want to before we jump into that, I want to ask you, Elias, what did that feel like? I mean, I can only imagine your going back to a place where you were the recipient of a scholarship, now you are the the person providing that scholarship that will lead uh, folks to have a, a great opportunity. How did that feel, or what, what does that mean to you?
3: I think that that's, it means that you're being, you're getting old, first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, the other thing that it means is that it's how, great is to be able to look back and, and, and gain experience and wisdom over time, right? I, I think that I had no clue. I mean, like, my my sights were as far as, like, I just got accepted to college and I'm entering and I'm getting help to pay for it. But I don't know anything, right? I don't know what, I'm just barely, like, know what classes to take for the first semester of college. I don't, and I'm, like, I'm assuming that if I go to college, because when you're an immigrant, you do not know. I I had never seen what people do after college and with Mm.
1: college
3: and with more access and revenue. I'm saying it's like my, I have blinders on. I can only see as far as I'm I'm attending college this fall. That's it. And so many of them are in the same position. and, And what I'm trying to do is like see if they can see the value of role models. Right. And that, just the fact that they can see now that an alumni can sponsor a scholarship immediately should be putting ideas in their heads, right? It's like, I need I need to be successful so I can come and do the same and pass and, and pay it forward, right? And so there's just so many things I think that that's what I'm thinking in my head. And I said to them in my short snippet, I said, go connect with me on LinkedIn. And Patsy said, please, students, go go we'll follow this alumni on LinkedIn and figure out what they've done because there's stories there that you need to see. And so I, I think that that's the most important thing. It's like, we need to help the, the community. We need to help the new generation and we need to share everything that we know so others can take advantage of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, I was really inspired. The, so before this interview happened, uh, just to give you a sense of the sausage making our awesome producer, hung Pham. Uh, puts together many many pages of research on our guests, and uh, I was actually reading a little bit about what was uh, reported about your life uh, when you're in Nicaragua, uh, and this comes in context of the American Dream, and maybe some answering the question Lolita, you're possibly about to pose to me. Actually, one. Let me take a pause. What was the question that you wanted to pose to me? I know there then, wasn't. A,
0: there wasn't a question. I, I would. I wanted a reaction and then a question to yeah. Elias about it because I know you have a lot of thoughts about this.
1: Well, I guess like you know, there's something that like kind of struck me, which was uh, essentially, if I were to paraphrase some of the stuff that I think you shared in other interviews, Elias, it was like, you know, in Nicaragua, you basically have to be born with the privilege, and there isn't any way to move up the ladder unless you are just in it in the rung that you're in already. And one of the examples that you shared were things like your mom seems to be very highly educated, veterinarian, uh, entrepreneurial as well, wanted to start companies, but it it seems just like that the Nicaraguan business ecosystem was not designed for upstarts, right? And you're you're shaking your head in a big way. And, And of course, like if you contrast that with your own life, where you are today, I mean, you're in a really rarefied class of founders, full stop, who have ever built a business to this size of valuation. Um, and, uh, you know, so the question I would, I guess I want to pose back to you and just like, and sharing some of my thoughts too, is like, has black lives matter changed some of your perspective on this American dream question? Because for me, my reaction to it, when I saw it was like, oh man, like there's so much institutional problems still that, you know, I think perhaps I've been too complicit or just not apathetic about, you know, for folks who don't look like me. Um, and uh, it, it was it was a real slap in the face to when the movement reemerged again this year in a very healthy way, I'd say, of just realizing like, wow, there's like some pretty systemic issues here. Um, this year in 2020, as we're speaking now, it's August uh, 2020. Uh, have you learned a little bit in terms of that definition of the American Dream for you in your own journey?
3: I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I think I think what you're asking me is that. I, I need a challenge, right? Are you going against and saying the American dream is in trouble? Is something? Is that what you uh, kind of?
1: Yeah. Was it easier? Was it? Wasn't easier? Okay, let's put it this way: seventeen-year-old, in nineteen ninety-three, uh, Elias entering the country from Nicaragua versus seventeen-year-old Elias twenty-twenty. Do you think there would be like a different journey or a different set of friction?
3: Um. I, I'm an optimist. I, I think that I think that things are better. I mean I think BLM is is probably the the largest shift that we can have had in our thinking. It, it, that It took 20 years, just think about it. The internet, let's let's say that it's 20 years old, right? Yeah, sure. And it's like for 20 years, no one ever brought it up to light the way that it's been brought this year. I mean, we had the internet. It's like the internet was supposed to give access to everybody to the same information. And yet we could, we, we were not voicing and learning in the way that we can learn today. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that is, um, that we have to stay optimist. And we know that things are going to get better. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of work. Things are not going to change overnight. There's going to be, and so, uh, so I, I think that um, chances and opportunities are opening even in, in a much larger way, right? That we are recording and talking about this nobody was interested in a podcast in this topic 15 years ago. Right? Yeah. It's like we were just, I was just like, you know, just working at IBM or something like that, right? And then there's so also, <laughs> to, me, to me, two things are happening. One is that we need to tell our stories as Latin Americans of what is different about us, about the journey. But also now I'm educating myself and learning what, it, what it's been like for African-Americans, for blacks in their history, in how their journey is different and hard, equally hard, maybe not, maybe even harder. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like to understand hardship, right. is, is the only way that we're going to be able to overcome. It, right? uh, in fact, I mean, am I, can I share a screen? Yes.
1: Yeah. We'd love to see.
3: So let me see here. So this is a talk I gave to the team about telling the story. And I said to them, if they ever thought, um, what would they say if they were asked to give a commencement speech? And I said, well, nobody has really asked me to give a commencement speech. So like, let's not get carried away. But, you know, Sundar Pichai is an immigrant, right? And he runs one of the most powerful companies in the world.
1: Yep. Because Google. That's right.
3: Nothing. Right. And so then I said, I said to the team, I'm going to share my own journey. And I gave him the definition of the American dream. Oh, wow. And so, and so, you know, I said this to the team and this is a kickoff in July.
1: uh, Well, actually, do you mind uh, reading that slide for us in in case we have just listeners who can't see?
3: It's the belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into, can attain their own version of success in a society where upward mobility is possible for everyone. It is achieved through sacrifice, risk-taking, and hard work, rather than by chance or privilege, right? We can add to that. Hmm. And so this is the American dream, and this is a lie. And so now I repeat all this to the team. And then I said, well, let me tell you where my journey started. But I said, I'm going to take you really back. And I said, this is where I grew up. And Nicaragua, remember, yeah. Where I grew up, picture night, July 19th of 1979. And look at this. This is the state of my country when I'm three years yeah. old.
1: We're looking at a photo of a, a very militarized picture. Yeah.
3: This is the day that the Sandinista party took over the dictatorship, right? Yeah. And my mother was so excited. Right, the guy there with the red circle is the current president of Nicaragua. Believe it or not.
1: Wow. It's
3: hard the situation is. People, we're like we're worried about him. Look at this. This is weapons, AK. Yeah. It's
1: crazy. He's standing on a tank right now, surrounded by people heavily armed. Yeah.
3: And this is me. Whoa! My goodness, what a cute kid you were. <laughs> my mother's car. This is 1979. We're not that far away from where that tank was. Wow. And, and she thinks that everything's gonna get better uh, but guess what many years later till 1993 we are able to leave the country with a green card to come to the united States legally thanks to my grandmother that crossed the river in 1975 to be able to call us to here to come legally so mm. you know what I mean so that is that is the difference right it's like we just want to share like when we say is it hard is it not well this is what it is in our countries, right? Yeah, it's really hard. It's really, really hard, and so <laughs> people are just getting people are are and say, like, "This, I, I cannot bash this country, right? This yeah. country, it's we're here, you're here, I'm here, Lolita's here. It's better, right? And and there's situations where it's so hard in our countries that made us come here, and so life is hard here, but I believe in the dream."
1: That is so powerful. And I really hope that for anyone who's listening to the podcast, you take a moment to look at the the publication of the video to see some of the slides that uh, Elias just shared. super powerful. Um, you know, so this show is called First Pitches. And one of the things that uh, we were talking about before the show <laughs> was how difficult it's going to be to talk about your first pitch. And, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, we were interested in getting a little bit of setup before this first pitch in talking about what led you to drift? And we heard that there were many, many, many different versions of what this uh, this company eventually became. became. Um, were, what, what was going through your minds between you and your co-founder, David, in terms of how you would tell the story, even to investors?
3: Yeah, um, so, you know, we, there's never a straight path, a straight, you know, a linear journey to, to anything, to success, you know. Uh, you see companies go public or or something and they publish an S1 uh, and and just have all this great message and story that you're like, what a wonderful company. Look what a track record and so forth. Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, we made 1 million, we made 10, we made 50, we made 150, we made 300. Look at us. Right. And so don't realize that how difficult it is and that um, inside you have to be constantly changing and constantly adapting and constantly fighting competition, constantly building modes. And so the so the, uh, by, by the time that we drift, my partner and I have been working together, David Cancel, Cancel uh, for now, uh, you know, like, like 12 plus years, right? Mm. And so this is our, our fourth company together, consecutively that we've been uh, working side by side. And, um, you know, we kind of experience helps a ton, right? so at the beginning of Drift, we we did something very rare that our investors, you know, gave us good feedback on. They said, we we were we would we tried an idea, we put it out and we tested it in the market, we tried it very quickly, we did some rapid prototyping and we would try it. Uh, and and then we would change our mind. We would see a tank or we would see it, whatever, and we would then do something else. And and it was really hard on the team initially, especially the early team, because um, we knew that if we were going to, you know, lock ourselves into this, into a, into a path to building an enduring company, you know, to build any company of, of this magnitude, you're, you're committing yourself to a 10, 15 year, maybe 20 year a Journey, right? This is not like oh, I'm gonna go build a company and this is uh, done. This is, you know, when when David and I left left HubSpot and we said we're starting a company, we're like we're working on this for ten years. This is not like, what do you want to do next year? Right? This is a minimum ten year commitment. And so to do that, you need to make sure that the kind of company we wanted to build how to be how to be very big, right? I mm. have a large market. How to be a big, bold idea? How to have a, an inspirational mission and purpose? And that's why we kept iterating, because if we didn't find that that we were worth, that we were ready, willing to commit those ten years, it was not worth doing. And so that's that's what was important. And our investors, we would go to a board meeting, and the board meetings were like, you know, sometimes it was monthly, right? At that time, and it was like we would just grab lunch at the office wherever we were or at a restaurant, and we would just say, this is what we're working on now. And it was like, and we would make <laughs> this tremendous story and they were like, wow, oh, that sounds great. Keep going, keep going. Uh, make sure it's uh, something big. And then, uh, and then the next month we were like, and now we're working on this completely different. And so I think that that's, um, you know, one time they told me, it's like that many founders are afraid of change, afraid to change their pitch, their story because they're afraid to sound crazy, right? And they get too locked in and stubborn into that original idea. And that could be their downfall, right? And so change is the only constant and and you have to be willing to accept mistakes and and adapt for whatever it's gonna be successful, right?
1: So what's it like to um, sit down with a fund like CRV really, really early in this journey and then walk out with a $10 million check on a team bet. What Can you tell me exactly what you say to a fund like that so we can teach our founders on what you did?
3: <laughs> just to clarify, I don't know, we, were in talk, we talked to Ezer about this. So here, <laughs> so here's what it was. Um, we didn't even walk. So, okay, the story goes a little bit like this. We, uh, we were at HubSpot. Uh, this is just right little, shy of the IPO. And David and I felt that we cared about HubSpot so much we didn't want to interfere with the public company, and so we wanted to leave right before, right? So do, so we would never affect.
1: Interesting. Two months
3: before, in fact, before the IPO, right? So we wanted to make sure that there was a clean transition. We had worked on that. We had re- higher replacements.
0: Huh, okay. Now now it's making sense, Elias, because I was wondering the same thing. I'm like, why did he leave two months before and leave money on the table? Yeah.
3: And so now, what happens is that you do that. It's like, I, I my reputation is my most important thing, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like we want to make sure that we left in good standing, hired replacement, the team is in good shape, everything. You always gotta, you always gotta be planning on how you're gonna do your things, right? And this, this, even this, many things that we could have done better. Um, and so we, we, but uh, we, so we agree, and we announce it, we publish it in the newspaper, um, reporters pick it up, and and our investors, you know, CRV calls us, right, and it's like. Talk to me, guys. Why CRV had invested in performing
1: Yeah, your previous company that got acquired by HubSpot. They got yes, acquired by
3: HubSpot, right. Yes. So what happens is that uh, you know everybody, when you want to do your first pitch and you want to start your first company, you think that that company is going to be the the one. Well, guess what? <laughs> Very rarely, your first company becomes a ten billion dollar company. <laughs> and so, and so, what happens is that. And, and then uh, CRV had invested in David prior to performing. Hmm. And so what did everything boils down to? Relationships, trust, right? And so it's something that is being built up over time and many years. So, so when, when he comes here, it's, it's just a lunch. It's not really a meeting. We didn't walk into CRV. And so this is something that we love. He's our, we love CRV. We love a firm that believes in people. You know, in order to be an early stage fund, right, it's like you, you have to take bets on people because the ideas will change and, and they're not going to be fully formed. And they're not, there's no numbers to, there's no churn, there's no LTV to cap, there's no net retention, there is no brand, number of users, revenue, mm-hmm. nothing, right? And so to do that, you're really betting on people every single time. And so that's what they did, right? They, they believed in us, and they said uh, they were competitive, they were coming, and they, they really, um, you know, just put everything in, in front of us and said, we want to work with you. And that is what earned them a wow. uh, spot into in, in into direct. Uh, I
1: mean, Lolita, this is the first, first pitch episode I think we've ever filmed where there wasn't even a first pitch.
3: There's no pitch. <laughs> I
0: mean, but was, I mean, do you say that there wasn't or it was spread over a series of years? right? Because I think there is a nuance there. And sometimes we think the pitch is the pitch, but sometimes you're pitching when you don't even know it. So Elias, how many years was it between that relationship with CRV? Because I think that really counts for, for the, the pitch time, right? How so many years did you guys know each other?
3: It's, I, I think that it's, um, it is really, technically speaking, I want to be the first. I'm competitive. This is the first pitch, first pitches podcast where there was no pitch. So, <laughs> yep. We'll certify it. Certify. It. Elias Torres, thank you. Idea, I'm so there was no pitch. There was literally no pitch. We're going to go start something. And so there was no name, no company name, no idea, nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, but to your point, Lolita, it's like it, this This had to, this was a journey. You know, CRV invested in David at Compete, right? Uh, Ted Dentersmith, you know, was was an investor with David, right? Uh, he's known him for a long time. Uh, and uh, so this is, you know, it could be like uh, maybe 14 years in the making, right? Uh, they knew me for five years, right? They've they they'd seen us work. Isra was on our board. He saw us for two years, mm. a million in revenue, right? In a matter of like nine months, you know, at Performable.
0: And that, I mean, that's amazing information, right? Because I think for founders listening who sometimes come out to investors and just want to pitch and get the check in that same meeting, this says so much, Elias, and and thank you for sharing again, because it is about building relationships with real people and showing improvement and and showing how you uh, react to a company idea that doesn't work. Do you stick to it? Are you stubborn or do you do you pivot? Do you go towards a market where you are having, um, to your point, an inspirational message, a purpose and, and driving profits?
3: Right. And so, and so like, for example, I'm I'm an, uh, I'm an investor in a side card fund uh, of a West Coast firm. and. Uh, And I was reading through some of their packages and there was one line that stood out of me of how this firm invests, right? Mm -hmm. And it says, on average, their growth fund, on average, this firm gets to know their founders for a period of minimum 24 months. And I was like, you know, always, every day, we're getting a little bit of a new insight, right? of how this thing works. Why can't we just say everything, right? Yeah. It's like, I was like, wow. And this firm has been... You know, we've been, and I was like, "Oh, it hasn't been 24 months, right?" It's like, even even us, David and I, that we've been working for long, such a long time. The company has grown. We have uh, revenue. We have a brand. We have reputation. We have all these things. It's not easy, but even us, when we pitch for the B, for the C, right? It's like you can't just go and like, they don't know you. You don't know them. Why would you expect? To be, to just give a first pitch and somebody write you a check and, and say how great you are. You, and sometimes I think pitches don't even highlight who you are, right? And, and it's like, sometimes that's what you have, right? It's, that's all you have. When you're
1: well, Elias, I, can we explore that a little bit? So I love how weird... And upside down this episode is because we have no first pitch to talk about. Oh, but I'm not shaking my my, my pen to say that we have to move on yet, by the way. So just to, to reveal some of the the cards here. And but for, like, this,
0: for, for the audience who's listening, the pen to, uh, note is just that Eric has a, a way to visually tell us that we must move on.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and uh, another sort of fun sausage making. Elias was coaching us on more dramatic hand gestures and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, we'll, t- we'll do an outtakes reel someday. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so like the really fascinating thing I'm kind of working through as I'm hearing this story is, uh, I think to Lolita's point, like there's many years of like slow drip pitching essentially that was happening, but can you tell us a little bit more about like the blocking and tackling, just like the tactics of how you keep kept like your investors warm from the performable days was it like even things like Christmas cards or just like a monthly update? Like what what kinds of things were you doing where you could then unlock that capital when you're ready to take it after I, years of this stuff?
3: I, I think that um, I wish I was I was that wise back then. <laughs> but I think I'm actually starting to become that wise. Uh, I, I'm going to give you a secret, right? Uh, the, the, I, I haven't told many people this is a new thing I'm doing, but there is... Um, you know Sarah Blakely? Uh-huh. Spanx, right.
1: The so, Spandex founder?
3: Spanx. Spandex. Oh, spanx.
1: Sorry. Sorry, Spanx. Excuse me. Spanx, yes. Spanx.
3: Come on, let me tell.
0: <laughs> I, have, I have to teach Eric. <laughs> I have to teach him.
1: I'm on my journey as well. Go
3: ahead, please. Yeah. <laughs> his name is Jesse Itzler. And so uh, we met him a couple of times. We don't work together for with Drift and our conferences. And we've done a race together in Vermont. And like, they're like billionaires, right? And they're like always coaching on Instagram entrepreneurs. And so one of the things that Jesse revealed was that um, he spends three minutes a day texting people that he knows to nurture our relationship, right? Mm. And I was like, I was like consumed with work and the company and running and I just go my calendar, gets driven by other people. And I'm like, I don't have time. I, I just go with whatever my next appointment is, And know. I have zero time to do that. And then when I got that advice, in fact, David sent it to me. It's like, hey, look at this amazing idea. And so I, I've implemented that for the past month, month, two months, something like that, where I have my, my chief of staff. You know, we we created a spreadsheet. We put some very important people that I have had the fortune of meeting, right, and and be able to. Um, create a cadence of checking in. And so this is something I've been talking about on LinkedIn recently, which is like be persistent Update, Say, hi, how are you doing? What can I help you with? Don't just be like, show up one day. It's like, I'm going to, I need to pitch you. I need to raise money. It's like, it doesn't work that way. It's like, it's like people approach me asking me for stuff all the time. And it's like, I let's meet, let's get on the phone. And, 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 and now I'm saying to them, it's like, look, so my my ethics growing up is like you gotta be polite you got to be respectful you gotta come and bring something to the table right and lolita just you know, how how long you chased me for this at the beginning of no 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 and she was persistent and she was i persistent.
0: was like elias i know your story i love it we have to have you you'd be amazing this is all true on twitter i am I a saw, big pro- saw
3: a lot of this too it was and awesome persistence, right it's what pays off and so People don't understand that that journey of 10 years, it's like, it's okay to be systematic, right? So it's okay to be thinking about it because what you're trying to do is that that investor is looking for that entrepreneur that has that pers—that persistence, that scrappiness to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm. And they need
3: to get to know you and they need to, and they might, they, if they don't want to write you a check, it's okay, but they might want to mentor you. Like they really want to build relationships because I just told you that they want to spend 24 months getting to know you. And so, you know, in the same relationship, people think that if they say no to you, that they hate you or something like that. And it's like, well, guess what? No, they just can't write that many checks in one year. And so they're, they're like going to have you in mind. And so if it's not, I have had investors that rejected us on the, um, on the A that went on the B for us. Mm -hmm. Having investors that rejected us in the B that went on the C, right? Or that we were able to restart conversations. You know, it's like, I think we take things too personal, you know, most of the time as, as entrepreneurs because we care so much about this. And so um, you got to use every mechanism available to you to build a relationship.
0: I'm glad I'm glad Twitter worked out for us, Elias, because this has been so fun so far.
3: Yeah. Jeff, and everybody, and this.
0: I actually did talk to, yeah, I talked to Terrence, so um, chief of staff for, for Elias, and we were talking about the Latinx uh, Founder Resource Guide, and I was, I, we were going through it, and we were just like, isn't this amazing? Why aren't, why don't people know more about all the amazing things so many amazing people are doing?
3: And what you did there, what you put together, it's incredible and, and, and we need to be sharing that more often because people are literally like with the internet don't have those resources in one place so thank you very much for putting that together
1: yeah
0: such no, an, no. Such an awesome you. resource
1: yeah um well you know we heard i think some great tactical advice uh the three minute thing i think i'm going to steal that from you the lately, Torres strategy of lead nurturing. Uh, it's, it's so brilliant and so simple.
3: Relationship building.
1: Relationship building. Thank you so much. You're the marketer, I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, you know, we have a couple of questions just sort of about, um, you mentioned things like your legacy, your, your reputation. It seems that uh, being a role model for a community, whether you'd identify as like Latinx or just a, a tech founder or just like the tech ecosystem at large, a marketer, it seems very important for you. Um, so our question for you is, you know, how should we describe you when you die and we're giving your eulogy at your funeral?
3: I was, I wanted to think about the commencement speech, but if you want to think about my, my eulogy and my... And
1: well, you're, <laughs> you said you're only like, you know, one third, halfway through your journey, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. I don't know what the next like 40, 50 years are going to look like. And we want to talk about death. Like yeah, what are we, what are me and Lolita going to say as we're crying tissues about this is the man that Elias is?
3: I, I think, um, to tell you the truth, um, uh, John, Jesus, the, the name is keeping me right, John Donovan. You know who John Donovan is? No. He's the CEO of AT&T. Hmm. I think I hope I get it right. And so Sequoia, you know, puts together some incredible event and access to resources like another like GC to EZAR, CRB. Incredible. Oh, follow up on that. These are cultivated our relationship during the three years at HubSpot Mm. that we, we did things together. We spent time together. He does events, invited us, we came over and that made it. So he was the wise one before this, right? Uh, Before I'm learning how to do that, right? Uh, He's very smart uh, and he's an authentic, genuine uh, investor, a friend, Uh, In fact, um, he he took my family in 2015 to Israel and we did a family trip with him. And I got to meet uh, I I got to visit a kibbutz and learn when he grew up and met his mother. So I love Israel to death. I might be saying too much, but uh, I love him. He's awesome. Uh, So that's my board member. (laughs) (laughs) You got to look for people that you want to spend time with uh, that you can trust. Um, I think from a a deathbed, from a uh, (laughs) post-deathbed thinking, um, John Donovan taught me something very, very powerful. I think that, I think human beings, we're too egotistical and we always want to think, we want to be remembered. Should there be a building with my name on it, right? And and in fact, he said that he wants his life. He's making such a big impact, right? Running such a large company in the world. And, And in a podcast of him, I heard after I met him, Uh, He says, I would like my life to be like a, uh, the world is like a bucket of water. And my life is like my hand, that while I was alive, it was inside the bucket. But when I die, my hand is out of the bucket. And would you ever tell that your hand was there in the bucket? You'll never tell, right? Because the water immediately takes up the space of your hand, right? And so... Basically, I, what I'm getting out of him is he's trying to leave not not necessarily a footprint, you know, uh, that that is attached to his name, right? It doesn't really matter, right? I want to think on, on, on you know um, on a more life is going to go on and and people are going to, but I want to leave an impact in people's lives, but not necessarily has to be me like remembered, right? It, it doesn't really matter, right? But but it is to impact in some ways, as many people as possible, right? To, for people to, you know, every person that has ever worked um, at my companies, I want them to be inspired to go start their own company, right? And to create jobs and to have, attain their own version of their own success, right? Uh, and then impact their families. And like, to me, what HubSpot has done to the economy in this city, in Boston, in Cambridge, all those things, more than enough, satisfy me, right? And so like, I don't know. I don't have words of what I want people to say there. It's what I can do right now that matters, mm-hmm. right, uh, for people's benefits. And that's great. And there's all kinds of benefits that the people are getting from it.
0: That is, like, the best answer I could have heard. And, by the way, Elias, Eric tried to convince me to ask you that question. And I said, I, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But I love it. I mean – you know, I, I actually heard a saying um, that says give with your right hand so that your left hand doesn't know about it. And I live my life that way as well. When I give, I don't expect anything in return. Uh, and I think that's the way it should be, um, because otherwise it just is it really giving. Yeah, uh,
3: exactly. I, th- I think it's about it's about that. Um, and, and it's like um, it's a great saying. It comes from the Bible. Uh, And it's like something that we have to, I'm a little bit more pragmatic about that. It's like you say, I'm I'm staying in touch with people, um, met some amazing founders and mentors that are mentoring me. And like, I think that if we're upfront and honest with our purpose and what we're trying to accomplish, we should just help all each other, right? It's like, I'm asking people to help me to build a great company so I can be successful, to be a role model to then help my community. Yeah. Uh, I'm helping today this nonprofit that I was talking to this morning, uh, Inner City Weightlifting in Boston, John Feynman. Go help him out, right? Go spread the word, go find out what he's doing. And I go, you should not be afraid of using the three minute plan because what you're doing is you're asking people to help you. You're doing a nonprofit. You're not even making money yourself, right? So it's like it's clear what we want. We just, if we're honest and authentic about what we're asking, we should go and ask it, but that's why you need a clear purpose in your life, right?
0: I, I think that's such a beautiful yeah, way of looking at life and being intentional about what we're doing. And I think the authenticity, even if you are promoting the great things that you are doing, because in our community, I really actually do believe we need to self-promote and share the stories because there are not enough of them. And on, on that note, I, I know, Elias, storytelling is something that's, that's very important to you. And I'd like to circle back and and ask you, you you are, you are obviously an amazing storyteller and I am sure that one of these days we're going to see you in a lot of commencement speeches, but for those early stage founders that are learning how to storytell, because storytelling is so important in pitches in relationship building and everything like that. um, What would be your, your, your guidance in terms of preparing and sharing it, it, what is too much to share? Too little? How to start on their storytelling um, skill building journey?
3: Okay, I should I should have more of a ready answer, so I'm just gonna just do a last. Uh, I would say practice, <laughs> reps and sets. Uh, you gotta just keep telling the story, and it just keeps evolving, right? It's like um, you know that presentation. It's like it's a, it's it's been forty something years in the making, right? Um, Practice, keep trying it out. Practice it in real life with real human beings, right? And that's why you go and pitch to uh, 50 investors before you get a yes. Uh, but you have to get feedback and you have to be self-aware and you have to improve. So I'd say practice is extremely important. Second, it has to be extremely personal, right? I mean, it's like the reason why um, uh, sales reps are having success as Drift is because they use Drift to say right? And so when they go, a seller, uh, a salesperson, if they cannot believe in what they're doing, right, how, how are they going to be successful and convince others? So you have to believe in yourself. You have to be authentic. You have to be original. In storytelling, another advice, you have to have a hook, right? We'll come in and, and start with the uh, you know, drop a big bomb on, 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 on the desk, right? On that on that table, on that Zoom meeting, right? Do something special, do something different. Um, highlight the problem, get their attention, right? Because this is the, uh, something that you have to do in a short amount of time. And um, focus on the problem. Focus on the opportunity, right? And how you're uniquely positioned to solve it. And that's when your personal story comes in, right? It's like when, when you hear like... Um, I remember, like the founder of PillPack, right? He was um, he was like he's a he's a son of farmer, pharma, a pharmacist, and he grew up in a pharmacy, right? So he understood this firsthand, and to create a company that sold to Amazon, right? And so you know those are the kinds of stories that people want to hear. Why are you connected to this problem, and why can you solve it? And then when you combine that with relationship building, and you earn the respect and the trust of people, and you show how persistent you will be. When, that, when, that, when the times get hard, you're going to get it. After many those. <laughs> I love this.
1: We've been speaking with Elias Torres, the co founder of Drift, uh, previously co founder of Performable, which was acquired by HubSpot, a serial entrepreneur. Uh, by the way, I think for our listeners, uh, we all should check out drift.com. It's the best in class platform for conversational marketing. Really, really cool stuff. Check out Drift.com. Elias, thank you so much for coming on to First Pitches. We loved hearing your advice on storytelling, your journey, how we could become better storytellers. It's been an honor. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah. Uh, One more plug for Drift. Uh, We want to support startups, right? And early stage founders. So there's a Drift.com slash startups. So please, uh, you know, go there. We will give you uh, a very expensive package for a very, very low price to make sure to help you in your in your journey. Uh, and, and we are now the revenue acceleration platform, the one and only.
1: Thank you for listening to First Pitches. For show notes and more, visit our website, firstpitches.com, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast. Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. First Pitches is produced and edited by Hong Pham. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate our show and leave us a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. I'd like to introduce you to a team that every founder should know about. It's GS Futures. GS Futures is a new multi-stage VC fund that launched just this year, investing into teams at Early Seed all the way through Series D. This team spun off from the GS Group in Korea, a legendary enterprise representing assets in retail, consumer, energy, and much more. GS Futures is actively seeking and investing into great hustlers. Go to their website right now gsfutures.vc and tell them what you're up to. I think you'll be excited to partner with them. Frank Rimmerman is a public accounting firm whose history is closely intertwined with that of Silicon Valley. With humble beginnings similar to so many startups, Frank Rimmerman was formed with a desire to serve the entrepreneurial and venture communities of the Valley, supporting those who think outside the box. This is what the Frank Rimmerman team told us at First Pitches. Even we agree accounting work can be boring. That's why we chose to work with some of the most innovative and creative people. People who are changing the world around us every day. Their excitement fuels our passion and determination to grow and serve this special community. Frank Rimmerman is the entrepreneurial CPA firm. Check them out at frankrimmerman.com slash startup services.